for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. Are you ready for some TNA? My friends and I aren't your average blackjack players. We're all APs, which, if you don't know, stands for advantage player. As in, we play with a mathematical edge or advantage over the house. Yep, card counters, that would be us. On this podcast, I'm going to bring you true life stories about the AP life. There'll be stories of all the times we fucked up. Stories when we made out like bandits. Stories of losing more in one session than a lot of people make in a year. Stories of getting backed off in one shoe. Stories of average Joes out here doing this card counting thing with some of us crushing it and some of us just making our way through it. So if this is the kind of shit you want to hear, well, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. And welcome to this edition of our experiment in imaginary radio that we like to call the Tens and Aces podcast. My name is Mike, and I am your host for this little shindig. On this episode, we have an interview with full-time AP and blackjack professional Nichols. He brings an experienced, informed, and interesting perspective to the show that I hope you guys will all enjoy. So if this is the kind of stuff you want to hear, listen up, because we're about to give you some TNA. Welcome to the show, Nichols. Thanks for having me on, man. So we start with a little origin story where your AP journey started. Yeah, sure. So like growing up, I was always like kind of interested in poker. But as I got older, I realized that's not something I really want to do. I would still like kind of watch the events on TV and like try to analyze hands. And interestingly enough, though, I never got into playing poker. So after I finished college, I started working in sort of a social work type of program. And Mm -hmm. I got moved up to the reservation in the state where I live. It's a really small town. Um, I live in one of the least populated states in the country. And so there's not a whole lot to do, but because it was on reservation land, there was a casino there. And I've never been one that likes spending a lot of money. I've always been pretty frugal. So I thought to myself, well, if if this is the thing to do here and I'm going to make this a hobby of mine, I might as well learn how to give myself the best chance to win, right? And at least cost myself less money. And that's sort of where I stumbled into card counting, which I was kind of aware that it was a thing because of like, you know, the pop culture things like the movie 21 and history channel documentaries and stuff like that. But I hadn't really, yeah, yeah, but I didn't like realize, Hey, this is actually an attainable thing. Right. Because just like most people, I had the misconception that, Oh, you have to be really smart and you're keeping track of every card and all that. And of course that's not really what we're doing. We're not at all. Yeah. We're keeping like a ratio of, big cards little cards is there more big cards bet more plus one minus one divide (laughs) yep pretty simple stuff as far as actually um like the process of counting the cards is fairly simple i would say actually being successful at counting cards isn't so simple but that's a different topic but anyways so i kind of just learned on my own and i found a book which it contained a count system that was um I, i don't remember the name of the count but it was basically just long halves with the tag value Values doubled. Mm-hmm. And so that's the count I started with and I was having a really tough time with it until I realized, oh, there's other counting systems out there. And this high-low one that seems really popular works just fine. After switching to high-low, I got better at it. It was easier for me to handle because with um, with a level three count like halves, even mm-hmm. if you double the tag values and you're not using decimals, it becomes kind of a pain in the ass because everybody tells you, okay, it's easier if you just cross cancel everything. Well, if you have a five, um, mm-hmm. it's tough to cross cancel because now you're scanning the table hoping there's a nine somewhere and you get way behind and uh, I, agree. I, I, know, I know a few people that count halves and they do it pretty well but it's definitely not for me it's a lot um, of in my opinion I tried it too it's a lot of unnecessary mental work when you know yeah. high low works just fine yeah uh, mental masturbation as they call it 
sort of went from there and I was playing very part-time, although I was playing more than maybe most part-timers would just because it's the only thing to do in town. I mean, sure. what else What else was I going to do? Shovel snow? Um, <laughs> um, eventually, I got to a point with that job that I was working where it just wasn't a good fit for me anymore. I had picked up a few other advantage play tools, so to speak, where I felt comfortable enough to quit that job. And, and really, I I went in with the intention of, okay, I can do this in the meantime, but I'm going to be looking for work. And sure. then I just ended up doing this full time and it's been three and a half, almost four years now. So yeah, good for that's you, where man. we that's, are now. Most of the people that I know that are APs are part-time APs, but there are a few of us full-timers out there. Yeah. And I think it fits for most people well as a part-time thing. Doing this full-time is um, a pretty stressful and isolating experience a lot of for, times. Yes. It's and, definitely hard to have relationship or kids or anything like that. Right. If I, like it, if I would have had any major financial obligations at the time, I don't mm. know that I would have gone full time. But, you know, being um, relatively young, not having kids, um, not having, you know, huge financial obligations like a mortgage or debts to pay off. You know, it was just kind of a kind of good timing to do it at that point. You know, that's that's a good time to take risks. I completely agree. So where did you go from there? You went full time and that's that's where you're at now. Yeah, I don't really go up to those tribals as much anymore. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I do live in a place where there are not a lot of casinos around me. The nearest casino to me now is like almost 200 miles away, hmm. um, which, you know, it presents some challenges in that you are traveling a lot more than someone who, say, lives in a market like Las Vegas or Reno, where there's all sorts of options right there, or even California, right? Like there's plenty of casinos over there. Or even um, Seattle. Yeah, yeah. Seattle um, or like the Northeast, like Pennsylvania. Um, sure. But, you know, so there's that challenge that I, I have to be traveling a lot more and maybe I care a little bit more about preserving places than someone who's just going all over the country in an RV or something. But it's also a um, blessing in some sense, because when I come home, you know, mm -hmm. work's done. I don't have to think about it. Like there's no temptation to go be a workaholic and just go down the road and start playing. So I, I totally get that where I'm at there. I don't know, 15 places within 20 miles. And it is sometimes sitting home, just not doing much. I feel like almost guilty that I'm not out working. But, you know, I, I get over the guilt. Like I've decided to take all of February off, for example. I don't know if I could handle that sort of situation because like if I lived in a place where I had a lot of options right there, I don't know that I would have any work-life balance. Um, right. So it's been very good for me to just kind of stay where I'm at. Yeah, there's been times in my life when there was no work-life balance. When I totally went overboard, but what's important? Money's not always important, but it's right right around the corner. There's one that's five minutes away from here. That's a pretty good game. It, yeah. it's the market that you travel to that's 200 miles away. Are there? Mm -hmm. Is it just one shop, or are there several shops? So about 200 miles away, there's a place with like maybe five casinos, right? And then it's another hour and a half to the next town with a casino. Mm. And, and there's several like little towns within driving distance there, but you know it's an hour and a half, two hours between towns out there because it's a pretty remote area. And some of the other locations I go to are, are also like smaller towns and remote areas. Like, you know, Vegas is fairly accessible to me, but I just don't like it. I'm not, I don't like the traffic. I don't like the bigger cities. I don't like how sharp they are in Vegas. Even if it means more driving and more time on the road, I try to stick to the more isolated locations. Yeah, I, I find those isolated locations uh, that the heat tends to be very minimal, especially on in tribal. Right. In the well, middle of nowhere. Well, it's interesting because a lot of times they'll be sweaty, but they won't be sharp. Right. Exactly. Like, they'll be mortified right. that somebody's actually betting black and actually winning, but they won't know what to do about it. Like they, they don't know what's going on. And, you know, those areas, sometimes you can find some really interesting things, you know, and some sometimes the game just sucks and that's their game protection and you wasted a trip out there. Um, like I think there's one place that's fairly out of the way where you get there and you're not sure what you're going to find. And then it's like a four deck shoe, but it's um, hit 17, 10, 11, only no DAS. And it's like, oh, wow. well, I wish I hadn't <laughs> spent the time driving out here now. Maybe their blackjack sucks, which is which is why it's good to know other things besides right. just blackjack. But so maybe, like you said, they use a shitty game as game protection. But they I, don't know that another game, a carnival game, that there's an exploit on it that you can hit. And they don't even have any idea about it. So 
you could sit there. They won't even question. They just think you're some right. guy get lucky. Right, exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing what kind of weird stuff you can find out in the middle of nowhere. And if you don't already kind of live in the middle of nowhere, it might be out of the way. It might be tough and kind of inaccessible, especially during certain times of the year. Right. But if you can make that time, I mean, sometimes you find something just absurd. Like maybe the blackjack game on its own sucks, but they offer some sort of like silly promo um, one day a week. And if you happen to be there on the right day, it's better than counting cards somewhere. Yeah, there's this tiny like 400 slot machines and like one pit with like 10 tables, tiny place. And anyway, most of their customers are Canadian because in a small little town. Uh, right. Well, the border shut down, so they have like very few customers. I'm surprised they're even open. And they have this promotion. And I forget. I forget what day of the week it is. And I happened to stumble upon it when I was at another shop that's nah, 45 minutes away from there. I said, I'll check that place out, see what they have. I figured I could at least get a heads up if they had a blackjack table open because they probably, because of the border, had uh, mm. fewer customers, which was true. But they had this promotion where from like noon to midnight, every hour they have a drawing just for table games. And they randomly pick a table. Well, there's only one table that has players, which is at the max when I was there, there was two tables that had players. So you had a 50% shot of getting drawn and someone spins a wheel and it went up to $500 when they spin the wheel. Oh. And so I made like 1200 bucks just on that. And the, actually the blackjack game is double deck with pretty much every rule you'd want except for late surrender and with good pens. So the game's pretty good and it's five to 500. The only problem with the promotions is you have to play rated, but right. yeah, but you know, they, they're yeah, there that, is my point. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that, that particular one, that's a, a fairly interesting one. Um, do you know if you had an advantage like just off the top or did you um... I didn't calculate it honestly I stumbled mm. across I, I should That's, have calculated it because that seems like something where you could have um, it, it's something where especially since the base game is pretty good you could do something really small like a one to four spread that's not going to draw very much attention and then still be generating decent EV because of drawing that they're doing right yeah well here's the thing I'm, I agree with you on that I, I didn't put, plug the numbers in anywhere or do any calculations uh, I should have you know, shame on me. It was on a Monday night, I remember now, because Monday Night Football was on. There was two dealers and a floor person, one at each table, and the, they'd rotate. And the floor person was not paying attention. They were just there watching the game, <laughs> which is ridiculous because before i even knew that was the promotion was even active uh you know i was doing a i don't know i think a one to ten spread mm. on that and actually one to twelve and not being i was not starting at five dollars either so you know in negative counts i go down to five dollars if no one else was playing right so like so like what like a quarter to 300 and then yep exactly down. yep exactly so when i colored up i had i don't know 20 some hundred i don't remember what it was more than i bought in for and they said up. Oh, Good job. See you next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh, that's the great thing sometimes is, you know, they're not paying attention. They don't realize you were jumping your bed up and down. They just see you kill her up and all right, good job. And I think they would care there because they rarely have any slot players or any. I don't know. No, I honestly don't know how. They yeah. But open. the football game was so much more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, right. I mean, that's the that's one thing that I think newbies especially should remember is that the people working in the pit, they're human beings, too. You know, they don't want to be at work. They're looking for literally anything else to do. So a lot of times they're not paying attention to you. And a lot of times that phone call is not about you. And especially like when there's a sporting event going on on the television I, I i like making it a point to like ask the pit boss hey you have any action on this game and ask him if he has the over and under and like sit there and like almost watch it with him while i'm still doing my thing and he's so yeah, focused right. on the game he doesn't care about what's going on on the tables you know he's he's got his 50 bucks on the game he cares more about that than he does about the um thousands of dollars going back and forth on the tables <laughs> Right. And that's a great cover because one, you've initiated a little friendly thing with the guy. And so you're kind of his buddy, so to speak, a little bit. And, right. you know, he likes you maybe. Plus, he thinks you're just a Joe Gambler guy like him. You know, yeah. you're talking about gambling and betting on the game. You know, you're not just some guy there that's what you are. There you're working with your Starbucks playing. <laughs> Right. Blackjack. And I don't know this for a fact, but I am inclined to believe that 
a big reason I have stayed out of OSN and all of that so far has to do with relationships I build with the people that are working at the casinos I play at. Um, I, I don't know that for a fact. I could just be lucky, right? I could just be lucky and they forgot to update me or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of the places, especially the places that I got a lot of time in at, um, I've gotten to know the dealers really well and the pit personnel really well. I, I think it goes a long way in not just longevity at that casino, but also in them um, maybe giving you the benefit of the doubt and not putting you in OSN or Biometrica or whatever. Yeah, no um, one wants to rat out their buddy. Right, know? because some of these places are like definitely OSN contributors. Like I'll have a friend that goes in and he gets backed off and thrown into OSN immediately. But when I get backed off at the same place, it's, hey, um, you know, we're a private club and we have the right. And I go, okay, yeah, no more blackjack. I got it. Bye. And there's never an update. I'm never put in there. So that's happened several times. I mean, I even had one where when I was briefly working with a team, a teammate and I were playing at the same place and the same place backed me off, but didn't put me in OSN and did not back him off, but put, but did put him in OSN. Wow. And sometimes there's just no sense to be made out of it. So maybe I'm just um, looking for a pattern where there's not one. Who knows? I've not done this, but I've heard of people just asking, Hey, what do you have my average bet at? And then I do that. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then, and then like kind of talking them into saying your average bet's really your top bet. Right. A lot of floors are just, just there like any job. They're there mm-hmm. just putting their time in. Uh, you know, they're doing their job to up to a point. And as far as like bet spreads and that kind of thing, sometimes you just don't make them have to do their job. And as far as stuff like ratings go, sometimes they'll put in your initial bet and they'll leave it there the whole time you're there. So, right. I mean, and other, that's the people you have to, hey, what do you have me rate? I, I started out, I wanted to judge the table, see how everybody plays. Played and so I started out at five dollars and you know now I'm betting you know quarters so did you have me adjust it or something like that you know you got to kind of judge your audience there because you don't want to look like you're you don't want to tip them off to you or pay more attention to you than you of course want them to right but then right. again but, but at the care same about, yeah a lot of gamblers care about that and not only that but you know if you're the guy asking for comps you're also kind of annoying and they don't want to be by your table and watch you play I so never sometimes that. that works um, maybe I'm just annoying me that's it. yeah that's interesting we're gonna take a little break here and we'll be right back with the rest of the interview with nichols here's a few messages from our sponsors find your paradise go to visit lasvegas.com By the fact that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play, it's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the F-bomb that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunity opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. And now back to the show. 
sometimes I have a hard time sitting at a table. A couple of buddies come to the table. One guy's telling the other guy, like, say they're standing waiting for a seat, and I, you can overhear him explaining, "Here's what you do," and they're like, "80 percent right." And I, I want to chime in and say, "Actually, <laughs> it's really hard for me not to butt in and say, ah, you're telling them wrong, dude." <laughs> yeah, or or like when a husband's teaching his wife to play really poorly, things like that. Yeah, right. And, or the ultimate is when somebody at because you know they can kind of spot even a civilian player can kind of spot us because we play our hands fast uh you know oh yeah i mean even they, if they, they don't they know exactly that. what they're what you're doing they know that you've played a lot and that you know what you're doing exactly so they often ask uh, i'm sure you too but they often ask me and i'll say us uh, for advice hey what should i do on this whatever like say a 16 and gets a 10 it's like well you should always hit that and then the next two three hands later i got a 16 and gets a 10 and i'm staying because the deviation says to stay and i just told the lady next to me hey you should hit that and she's looking at me like you're an asshole (laughs) on your own advice and i can't i can't really explain to her hey uh yeah there's this thing called a deviation and i'm counting cards and there's a it's an index play and like you know so the ratio change i can't really explain all that stuff to her yeah Yeah. i i got to a certain point with that where i just started telling them hey it's your money play out however the hell you want i don't care just just play it um, you know, I like if they, if they keep pestering me, I'll like, and it's going to slow the game down. If I don't give them an answer, I'll give them an answer. But generally I just, I, I don't want to, um, get involved in that conversation or have that situation pop up. Like, you know, Hey, should I split these? And you go, well, yeah. And then like, even worse is like when they lose the hand, right. And they put more money out there. Like they say, yeah. Hey, should I split these nines? And you, and you go, yeah, absolutely. And then they split the nines and they get like a seven and a six and, and break both of the hands. And then they look at you like you're an asshole. And it's like, well, I didn't know what the cards were. You asked right. me what I would do, and I would have split them too. They don't understand the long run. They don't understand that you're talking over thousands of hands or millions. Right. They're talking and, over one. <laughs> right. And really, I mean, I guess there's no reason for them to care about the long run because uh, most of them, hopefully, are not going to play that many hands over their life. So who cares? I mean, just play how you want. Try to get lucky if you're yeah. one of those people. So I've seen people double on hard 19 and catch it too. And I'm sure you've seen that <laughs> shit too. I mean, it's like drunk I, guy, I'm going to do it. I want to double. <laughs> I have doubled a hard 20 and gotten an ace. Well, you probably had a reason why you did it. Well, yeah, the, the dealer accidentally turned an ace face up in the shoe when she went to discard it and it was still face up after the shuffle. Uh huh. Um, I've got a 20 and I look at the shoe and there's big old ace of spades staring at me I'm like, okay, I guess I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> I had a guy on, okay, so the dealer had double exposure, you know, a missed deal. The floor decided for everybody to play their hand. Play your hand because it's double exposure. You got more information than you normally would have, so just play your hand. This guy had a hard 19. The dealer and the floor still stand there. He says, you need to hit that, sir. He's like, no, I'm not hitting a hard 19. My dad taught me how to play. You're not going to take my money. He's like, sir, the dealer has 20. Oh, I'm not going to hit my, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I had a very similar one pretty shortly after the casinos reopened. And, you know, and this dealer, you know, she had kind of small hands. It was a handheld game. She was wearing gloves. She accidentally dropped the whole card in the chip tray. We all saw it. It was a 10 and she had an ace up. So she goes, well, insurance. And <laughs> so, of course, of course, I go, well, hell yeah, I want insurance. And the guy at first base goes, yeah, yeah, I'm taking insurance. But his buddy sitting at third base sitting there going, no, you never take insurance. That's stupid. Why are you guys <laughs> taking insurance? And we're like, she has blackjack. You no you never take insurance that's dumb and then and she goes okay and you know and then she like officially checks the whole card and flips it over and then he's like how did you guys know that like oh my god (laughs) you know what i love players like that they allow players like us to make money (laughs) oh absolutely I, I just prefer them to not be around me most of the time. <laughs> right. They can be really annoying. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad those people exist. I just, I, I don't want them playing next to me because, oh my goodness, I can't take the commentary. And I do not like how much they slow the game down. Yep, exactly. That's the worst for me is slowing the game down. Uh, last time I was playing, there was a guy who drunk off his ass. I think husband and wife were there and they had a hotel there. So they were, you know, having fun, whatever. But he was like belligerent and he was a terrible player. He had lots of money. He was going through thousands of dollars. And every so often, his wife would come up to the table and she would obviously, I think she's losing money on slots. So she'd come to the table and want like two, three hundred chips from him to go cash out to get money to play. 
And she was just so the language that she was using was unbelievable. Like, why does that guy fucking hit? Why did that guy fucking stay? This guy here, this guy that. Oh, what a fucking piece of shit. I was like, wow. Like complaining <laughs> about everything. Like a Jerry Springer show. I was like, man. And they were kind wow. of white, white, trashy looking people and not to judge. But I mean, I was like, whoa, I guess she was probably drunk. What's that? Some of the places I play at, you'd get uh, tossed for dropping that many F-bombs. Yep, me too. You could talk about all kinds of things, but you can't drop an F-bomb. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't There's Well, this place has big uh, plastic barriers up, so I don't even know if the dealer could even hear them. But he was right next to me. The way they talked was unbelievable. Jeez. Yeah, there's... There's definitely some characters in the casinos. I, you know, I used to work in the mental health field, um, like I stated earlier, and I'm convinced that the average casino patron is probably less mentally healthy than most of the people I worked with as clients. Maybe not on a Friday night. Maybe that's not true. But on a Tuesday night in like November. Oh, yeah. If the casino is pretty full or three quarters full, most of the people there are degenerate. And I'm not trying to judge people or label people, but they're there feeding their addiction. You know, and there's right. usually and, most addictions. There's usually other, as you know, there's mm, other stuff going on. Yeah, and that's and like so, sometimes it's very apparent with some of these folks. I, I mean, there was a time in Reno that um, I sit down to play at this place, and this guy is just like going crazy. Like he can't get the words out of what he wants to say to me, but he's like really upset. I look at the dealer, and she's like, "You just sat on his imaginary friend." <laughs> and the guy was like really upset. He's like, "You sat on my friend Malcolm," and was really mad. And you know, in the moment, like in hindsight, I probably should have just like left, found another table. But my response was more to sort of freeze and i said to him well i'm malcolm now and then he's like oh okay and then we played and it was okay good call yeah it's really really strange some of the characters in these places but yeah that's great you just gave me a, a pretty easy show title there for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> well there you go glad i could be of service <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that you would tell your younger self when you first were starting out, like a mistake you made or something you were doing, or is there anything that you would tell um, so other people can? Right. Um, one would be not to half-ass it. In the beginning, I did not take the time to learn deviations, which I mean, you don't, you, you know, you're still playing a winning game without them, but um, especially those top few, you know, insurance 16 versus 10 adds so much that you're costing yourself a lot of money for uh, to avoid basically zero effort like yeah. it's slightly more than zero effort to learn yeah like the top two or three indexes and really it's, it's not that much of a challenge to learn like the top 20 or the illustrious 18 or something um the other thing would be to get like cvcx or e either cvcx or the bja pro betting software one or the other because if you're not running i mean if you if you have the skills to just do the math on your own then fine go ahead have some way to calculate your risk and the actual like expected value of the game you're playing i without a doubt was playing with too high of a risk early on it wasn't until i was in a discord voice chat on rimo's discord and rimo had told me he's like He's like, dude, for as much as you're playing, you really should get CVCX. And I took his advice and got it. And I was shocked by a few things. One was just how high my risk was. So I did get lucky in the beginning. And the other shocking thing was, at that time anyways, how much more important penetration is oh, than yeah. the rule set. Because I, I think a lot of newbies, and myself included when I was newer, get so caught up on what's the initial house edge of the game? What's mm -hmm. Can I double after split? Can I surrender? Is it stand 17? which of course those things matter but um, i would much rather play a no das hit 17 game with a half deck cut than a double after split resplit aces stand 17 game with a two and a half deck cut mm -hmm. um, that even, even though, sit down at that table yeah exactly um even though the initial house edge is much smaller on the other game it's not really a valuable game um whereas the hit 17 game where there's no double after split yeah on paper at first glance it looks kind of like trash but then when you see that cut card go in about 
about 26 cards from the back, you go, oh, well, this is actually a really good game, even if I can't double after split, even if they are hitting soft mm-hmm. 17. Yeah, pen is key, without a doubt. There's no doubt about that. And especially right. if you're playing if you're playing six or eight deck games a lot. Yeah. Yeah, with, with double deck, like you can, there's a little more leeway with what's playable. Um, like, you know, a center cut double deck is not particularly good, but if you have the game heads up, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's playable. Um, if you've got like even a two deck cut on a shoe game, I don't know that I would play. Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah. I, I mean, that would, it would have to have something else with it to make it worth playing. Even if, you know, even if the center cut double deck game doesn't have the greatest rules, you can still probably play that as long as, you know, it's heads up and you're not playing at a full table where you get like two rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without something extra, the shoe game with a two deck cut, I don't, I don't know that there's a world where I could play that. I mean, I know some people that do, but I don't know that I would. There's some people have no other choice. Many, many, many shops, especially post-COVID, here, pens gotten better. That Some are notched. And Those notches even, are a beautiful thing. They are, and some dealers even lean a little further past the notch because they're, they're, I guess they're lazy. They want to work less. I, I would. But. And I mean, that that's another thing, like, and I don't think this is as common as getting caught up in the rules, but I think a lot of people also get caught up in the number of decks, right? Like, they get really fascinated with double deck, or, or maybe they just always gravitate to the six deck rather than the eight deck, but there are some really, really, really fine eight deck games out there. Like one of my favorite games, I I only got to play it for a couple of days, but one of my favorite games I've ever played was an eight deck game. And it was about a half deck cut, maybe even a little um, less than that off the back. They also had a good double deck game. And because they had the good double deck game, nobody cared about the eight deck. And with that kind of cut, I mean, you get to the end and maybe you've been flat betting minimum the whole way through. And like the last hand you get up to like a running four and now now your max bets are out. You're fairly certain the good cards are going to come out because there's not very many cards left you know you're not exposed your bets aren't as you don't have the big bets out there for as long like there's not there's not this risk that the big cards are trapped behind the cut card and you bet into a horrible slug of the shoe and Mm -hmm. um, expose your bankroll for a long time like you like playing a game like that you know sometimes it'll still happen but you're way more certain that the cards are going to come and with like a deck and a half cut you don't have that situation as often where the count changed by like a running four and now all of a sudden you go from minimum to maximum bets absolutely that's especially if you're red chipping, I think, granted, usually the, the table minimums are lower on shoe games than double deck games. But besides that, you're not going to get hammered and have some crazy the ramps going up and down because it's going to fluctuate in single deck and double deck way more often. Yeah. And it's and it's going to fluctuate a lot at the end of a well cut shoe as well. Yeah. The end of the shoe is usually when you ramp. Now, moving on to a tangentially related subject. I've overheard casino staff, players and dealers bring up card counting just in the course of playing the game. And one time I actually overheard a dealer say to a floor, as I'm literally doing just that. Well, no one can count a six deck shoe. Oh, Lord. <laughs> like that line from, I think it was a yeah. man where they said yeah. that. You know, I, I've heard fairly similar things before. This wasn't exactly those words or, or even like even referring to the six deck so much. But I was playing at this place and it's, you know, there's a small town. It's up north and it's like the middle of January. So there's not like a ton of action there typically. But I go in there and there's this guy guy betting yellow on the shoe game which is like shocking and so of course you know you see someone betting yellow you think oh i'm gonna go to the other table in this pit because they're not gonna give a damn about me especially because this guy was winning i mean he was he was up like 60 grand on him or something and he wasn't betting a thousand a hand yeah um oh awesome yeah go there go there yeah yeah and i was like uh and like i stopped and like observed him for a minute too just because i was curious if he was doing something and he didn't appear to be like he just seemed to be a straight gambler but so i go over to the other game and pit boss from the other from another casino in the town came and sat down and was playing with me and he's asking the dealer he's like like are you guys worried that that guy's like counting or something and the guy's like no he's not really changing his bat and and it's Mm -hmm. a six deck shoe and he goes the game would really worry about that on is our single deck um their single decks like a six to five game where they deal like half of the deck so they shuffle every hand (laughs) Yeah, like there's just no awareness and casino staff just generally not having a clue. Um, Here's a good one for you. So there's this place that I was playing at a lot. I mean, like one or two weekends a month for a span of like 18 months or two years or something like that. And it wasn't it was one of those where, you know, they kind of sweated the money, but they didn't really have a clue. So they'd let you play. And during about a four month period of time, there was another card counter that had gotten to town and he ended up staying parked there for four months, um, living 
sleeping in their hotel, right? Wow, and awesome. and he was um and he was playing a pretty high variance um way of playing. You know, he was maxing out at any edge because the table max was lower and his bankroll was big enough to handle it. And so he was taking some massive swings. And after a really big day for him, I went in on graveyards and there was this dealer there who was really sharp. Uh, and of course, like there was nobody working graveyards that cared. So like you could have a conversation with this dealer about what you were doing and it was fine. Love that. And That's the awesome. guy and the guy goes, yeah, you know, he had a big day and one of the managers asked me what to do about it. And I told and I told him if they wanted him to leave, all they had to do was move the cut card up on him. And, you know, and he's not wrong. Like, yeah, if you move the cut card up enough, no card counter is going to play the game. Right. Soft and so off, right. and so they listened to him and they moved the cut card up. And, you know, and it was still somewhat playable because it was they moved it to just a center cut. They didn't like move it to like, you know, dealing half a deck and shuffling. But so this other counter and and myself after he was done playing that day both still like played and just to like kind of feel it out and well the other guy had a like just ran really hot the day that they moved the cut card up mm-hmm. and management comes back down to the dealer and goes what the hell did you tell us to do that for we're never listening to you again and they moved the cut card back down and made the game better again <laughs> do they not understand anything apparently not i'm mystified when casinos have i understand they have no double after split uh 9 10 11 only stuff like only resplit to two hands to protect against you know card counters but they're so stupid they're leaving so much they're leaving so much money on the table because most people 99.99% of people can't even play perfect basic strategy let alone be a winning card counter so right and they're, keep your eye and, out for card counters if some jackass wants to split his his tens against an ace to four hands let him no. yeah i've always thought that like giving like in general, giving the average player more options only gives them more opportunities to make big mistakes. And so it's kind of strange to me that 10-11 only or 9-10-11 only becomes such a common, I don't, know if, I don't know if I'd call it a countermeasure, but a way to quote unquote protect the game. Um, to make it undesirable want, to play. Yeah, because, us. I mean, I have seen so many people just double things like ace two against an eight. Yeah. Or, exactly. uh, but, you know, with double one exception, a, though. Two and a four. Oh, yeah, and, and of course, I've seen people like surrender a 12 and stuff like that, too. But with one exception with all this, though, and that's um, resplitting aces, I'm not sure why casinos still allow that, because that's one that people generally don't mess up. I mean, I've seen a couple of very rare occasions where someone decided not to split their aces but generally why even allow the resplit most people aren't gonna screw that one up you should but you should allow like double any two and really surrender like surrender is great for card counters but most customers either don't know what exists or if they know what exists they sit there and fish for 20s mm-hmm in my experience, fall under two categories with surrendering. Either they think surrendering is the stupidest thing possible, that they're not going to give their money away, they're there to gamble, or they over-surrender at 12s, 13s, you know. Right, or, or I mean, I've seen people just decide they're going to surrender anything less than 19. Like, they just decide, okay, I'm going to fish for the good hands, and that's all I'm going to do. And, of course, that's a horrible strategy, but it's only, like, people can only play that badly if you allow them to play that badly. So it's interesting that more casinos don't offer that. Yeah. I mean, it, it shouldn't surprise me anymore when I hear stuff like that, but it still does. It's just so crazy. If, if I owned a casino, I would let, I would have every rule possible. I would watch the tables because, you know, of course we know what to look for. And deal that sucker down to the last card. Yeah. And I would tell them if I did catch a counter, I would say, hey, look, I know what you're doing. Just don't kill me. Don't make me do my job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, you know, hey, I know what you're doing. Because I know, I know that card counters lose money too. And maybe he's going to loot, maybe his bad variance is going to be in my shop, but down the road, he's going to take somebody else's money. I would be good with that. Maybe I haven't done the math on that. I don't know. But that's how I always thought I, and I know that if I let double deck game have a $10 or something table minimum, have every rule possible on it, cut it deep. Oh man, players would love that game. And ploppies would donate a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, they definitely would. Um, you know, I don't, you know, and that's actually an interesting topic. Like, how would you, how would an advantage player run a casino if they had one? Because I think that, I think that's um, interesting because I, I, I think there's so many different viewpoints, even from advantage players on what the best way to operate one would be. Because I know some people that have said if they operated a casino, they would go full 6-5 
on everything because they wouldn't because they'd be so worried about getting taken advantage of, which I think is an overreaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've also heard people say they wouldn't even offer table games because though because there's less overhead and just being a slot parlor. Well, yeah. But yeah, anyways. That is an interesting topic. Another example would be uh, Max Rubin, for example. You know, he, yeah, he 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 follows sort of uh, your philosophy of you know we'll we'll back off the skilled players, but we're also going to offer a fair game and a fast game. Yep. And he does a polite, his back offs are, from what I understand, I haven't played at his joint, but uh, I heard they're very polite in that from what I understand. Yeah, uh, I've heard, I've heard good things too. And, but then again, I don't know. I don't have a great point of reference for what a rude back off is. I haven't had a lot of nasty ones. Really? You haven't had in general, if you're if you're polite, they're polite. I think the the nastiest like I've had two that were like the only two I can think of that could be interpreted as nasty weren't even really nasty. They were just kind of rude. Um, one of them was at you guessed it the El Cortez. I don't even think I like I wasn't even playing like my typical game. I was just kind of going all right. I'm gonna see how long it takes and playing their single deck game and just just for fun. Just for yeah, a scientific and, experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And the and the boss comes over, sits down and asks sits down at the table and asks me how my day is going. I go, Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you? And he goes, Oh, I'm fine. And then he like pounds his fist on the table and goes, It's five dollars flat here. Cut that shit out. I'm like, Oh, all right. <laughs> like that, that's about the nastiest I think I've had is that. How many hands um, did you say you got in? Uh, I was actually there for a couple of hours, surprisingly. Wow, that that's amazing, actually. <laughs> and I and I'm pretty sure that I think I would have lasted even longer but someone who i recognized and he recognized me came over and like said hi to me and he had been in town for a few days so he might have had mm-hmm. a flyer out on him or something because mm-hmm. uh, it was like almost immediately after that that someone came over and and i guess technically it was a flat bet not a back off but yeah i consider that a soft back off yeah but i mean that's that's about the rudest or nastiest i've had i mean almost almost all of mine have been pretty polite which you know is convenient but it's also it also kind of sucks because i don't have a lot of great back off stories <laughs> yeah they're kind of the fun ones your uh your i don't know acquaintance if he's good enough player to be flyered all over town he should know better than to come up to you at the table well uh <laughs> yeah and that's that's why i would that's why i said it's someone i recognize like it was someone i met but it wasn't really someone i wanted to associate with i i'm i'm not gonna name names but you know they're yeah like like most people you have some respect for but there's always a couple of people that you you meet them once and you just kind of decide yeah i never want to work with that person ever absolutely i know what you mean but i just just, i'm mystified people should know you should know that if your game's good enough that you're again getting flyered all over vegas well uh, i don't think his game was really that good but it was good enough that you know like it mimicked everything well enough that they thought he was a winning player right gotcha gotcha do you have any uh interesting stories to share or anything you want to share well like i said i don't have a lot of good back off ones um well one I guess one of my favorites, um, I did share this on the Blackjack Apprenticeship podcast, but I, I, I did leave out a few details that I think um, add to the story. You know, maybe I'll include those here. So um, this was, you know, a few years ago and this place offered a promotion and there's a little bit of a backstory to this promotion. Um, they had run it once before when I was a part-time player. At that time, I didn't really have the bankroll or really the knowledge to know what my edge was on it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't like properly destroy it you know i played like quarters instead of nickels but i didn't properly crush it so a couple years later this place is having a lot of trouble getting people to play their table games and part of that's my fault too because they made all the rules crappy because of me (laughs) they didn't back me off yeah they didn't back me off they went from a double that game that was you know strip rules double any two double after split to 10 11 only no double after split and the locals were just furious about it. And when I asked them why they did that, um, the table games manager at that time told me, well, we don't want you to like stop coming, but we had to level the playing field with you. Like, oh, that's that's great logic. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, so because of that, they're having trouble getting people to play. Um, and, the, and the new table games manager was somebody that I had known from the time he was breaking in as as a dealer. So, you know, I had a little bit of a friendship with this guy. Well, friendship's maybe a strong word, but a little bit of a personal relationship. Mm -hmm. And he's 
like and I'm in there I was in there for a different reason but I had but I had to walk by the pit and he's talking to me about how they're struggling and they've been trying these different promotions and nothing's been working and I go well why don't you bring back that other one and I'll, and I'll get to what that was in a minute and and he and I said it you know sort of jokingly thinking there's no way they're going to do that again and pauses for a second scratches his chin and goes you know what I remember there being more action here than ever when we had that going on so yeah let's do it uh let, let we'll start doing it next month and and you know I said, oh, that sounds great. And I, oh, I got to get going. And as soon as I got out of the casino, I called a friend of mine and told him, dude, you have to get out here. <laughs> um, but anyways, so what the promotion was, was they put um, jokers in the shoe. They put four in the six deck and two in the double deck. These jokers. So if you've ever read um, Stanford Wong's basic blackjack, otherwise known as winning without counting, hmm. he talks about like jokers wild promotions. Well, this was better than jokers wild. These jokers were automatic winners. Wow. Like a joker hits your hand, you win your bet. Wow. And if the dealer gets a joker, it gets burned. And a, and a little n- nuance to it was that when a joker got played, it got removed from the shoe. It didn't go on the discard tray. They wrote your name on it and put it, and put you in for a drawing. So all the jokers had to be removed before they restocked it. So if you hmm. so say you went through a six deck shoe and only got three of the four jokers, you would have to play until that one joker came out before they put four back in. Hmm. Anyways, they were like really like this guy was really excited about the promotion. And there was um a fourth of July parade the first day that they were having the promotion. So when we got into town to play it, they've got this fourth of July parade in town and their float has this big joker on it and they're so proud of it they think it's this great idea and they're gonna (laughs) get all these they're gonna get all these great new customers get some of their old customers back and they're just so proud of it long story short we destroyed it like there were a couple other things going on that made it better um that had to do with um non-random shuffling but i'll i'll leave that for another time i think i discussed it a little bit in the other podcast but um and and one of the limitations was that the table maximum was only a hundred dollars but with an edge like that i mean even with a max of a hundred dollars it was worth 500 an hour it was absolutely absurd and they couldn't figure out what was going on they couldn't figure out why we were winning they just couldn't the first the first time i I guess their cameras aren't very good so they had to have the surveillance people come out on the floor and like count us down Mm -hmm. and they're like like they're standing there counting us down and what's interesting is that i was keeping account with it so that not necessarily like it had the side effect of squeezing a little extra ev out of it when there were no jokers but it was that wasn't the purpose for it purpose for it was so that I could kind of throw them off the scent of the Joker thing, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so instead of Jokers come out bet minimum, it's Jokers come out, and if the count's positive, my big bet's still out there, so it looks unrelated to the Jokers, and it right. also looks unrelated to the count because I started the shoe with a maximum bet, right? And so, and like the the one surveillance guy is watching me, and the count just happened to call for splitting tens, and I decided to split the tens because I wasn't spreading my bet. There was no reason for him to freak out, and I split the tens, and and the guy's like, oh yeah, split them. The surveillance guy said that. And then I get another 10 and he goes, oh yeah, split him again. I split him again. And I win all three of them. And I hear him say to the table games manager, man, it's just variance. Relax. <laughs> and then this, and then the second thing they did try to count. Well, no, the, the same night. So this, this actually happened first. So the same, the same night towards the end of the promotion, it was like about five hours long. My friend and I are both on the double deck game. The table games manager had gone home and a dual rate had tapped in. And the dual rate, I, I don't know if she thought we were counting or if she just thought this was a good idea, but the way she decided to protect it, which, you know, it did kind of make it worse, but it didn't get rid of the edge. Well, she starts putting the cut card a half a deck from the top. <laughs> You know, I think that she thought that it worked because it just so happened we started losing a few hands towards the end there when she did that. But the edge was still there. Just you were less certain of getting the jokers out because they were shuffling so early. But so then by the third week of this my friend had to go home he had other things that he had to do so i was going in to play it solo and their next countermeasure was they just they they decided that the reason i was winning was the rules not the promotion with the jokers but the rules of the base game so they made (laughs) so they made the six deck game also 10 11 only with no double after split. Wow, but that pissed off the the locals. Oh, absolutely. And and after that third one, I kind of gave it a rest. I decided that was you know enough. Oh, and also that third night, the time that they would normally open the double deck, they they get the other table open, and I go over there to play the double deck because a joker per deck is better yes. than four decks per or four per six. six. 
Right. And the table games manager looks at me, looks at the table, and he's like looking around like he's just in a panic. And and he decides his countermeasure is going to be he's just going to pull another shoe out and make this one the six deck game, too. <laughs> <laughs> and there were some other like just really great moments like the table games manager taps in because he thinks because he's superstitious and then mispays my and then mispays one of our hands <laughs> or, the, or he tapped in on the double deck when when my friend was on the six deck and i was on the double deck he taps into the double deck and like you can like and w- when you're talking about sweat like generally we're using it sort of metaphorically right like they're sweating the money but he was legitimately Literally. sweating <laughs> like every time he Every time he was drawing to his own hand, you could see the sweat dripping off of his nose into the chip tray. And then he would break <laughs> and just shake his head. <laughs> That's funny. He probably yeah, wasn't uh, – he probably made more mistakes than average D. Yeah. Too. And, he, and then he, he also blocked me on Facebook after that, but that was to be expected. I'm surprised um, you had him on Facebook to begin with. I'd, I had known him for so long, and before I was playing full-time, that yeah, because it, it was a small town. And anyways, you know, the, the final week of it, I kind of just left him alone. And, and there wasn't any rational reason for it. I'll just, you know, I, I didn't want to beat them up again. I just didn't feel like doing that. Yeah, to them. Um, I know what you mean. But the week after that, I was back up in the area and I was still like a little frustrated with him for putting the six deck out instead of the double deck, even though, you know, I shouldn't have been that mad about it because still I still had, had yeah, edge. Yeah. But I, yeah. And so I kind of gave him the cold shoulder when I walked by the pit. He goes, hey, come on, come on, come talk. So I go over and talk to him and, you know, and in your head, you're thinking, OK, this is it. They're finally maybe yep. sixing me. And that was not what the conversation was. Instead, the guy was really cool about it. He says, hey, obviously, I still have a lot to learn about this business and thank you for teaching me something wow that was it that is good on him yeah that's the only time i've ever had that response from something like that and not just in a casino but person in an authoritative position to humble themselves like that in any kind of walk of life is pretty good on him yeah impressive which uh and i remembered this sorry it's a little bit out of order here but um there was just one little um interesting thing it was just one hand that i remember very vividly because it was so strange i'm on the double deck and now Ordinarily, we were only allowed to play one one spot during the promotion. But when the table games manager would leave for the day, because his shift ended halfway through the promotion, we would, you know, sneak out that second spot. And so, and for for anybody who's played a pitch game, you know that mm-hmm. your second hand, generally, you're not allowed to look at until you've played your first hand. Right. So I play my first hand, I pick up my second hand, and both of the jokers are in that hand. <laughs> so I turn them over and put another bet out. You know, I want to split my joker. Because you're guaranteed to win on that hand, right? Right. And the dealer goes, I, I don't think you can do that. I go, well, what do you mean? I can split any pair, right? And the table rules are I can split any pair. And they call the dual rate over to look at it. And she goes, she goes, no, you can't split jokers. And again, I'm like, but it's a pair. I'm allowed to split any pair. I go, can I at least get two to one on that? And she goes, hmm, no, no, I'm just going to give you some extra entries into the drawing. And, and you know, they paid me, but it was... Well, can you double? No, the, the hand was <laughs> okay. over. I had a joker. They wouldn't oh, let me split. Wow. And, you know, that's one of those things where I was a little, I was just a little bit peeved, but at the same time, that's not really a hill to die on when you've got something like that going on. So I had to just kind of let it go. But but it was uh it was really interesting picking up in a game of blackjack a pair of jokers. A double deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With only two two out of the fifty two cards are the jokers, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, folks, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Tens and Aces podcast. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at tensandaces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's the words tens and aces and the number 21 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys down the fell.